Welcome to the Basketball Index Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor, and today we are talking about the state of the Mavs. We have Bobby Carella, digital content manager for the Dallas Mavericks. I think you're our first uh, employee of an NBA team on the pod. Bobby, how does that feel? Oh, it feels great. I'm ready to either spread Mavs propaganda or provide very unique Mavs insight that you can only get from inside closed doors. So either, either way, I'm ready to go. You're representing it. You popped on my Skype uh, and in the video. You had the uh, the Mavericks polo on, which I appreciate. I felt like it has made it a much more official event. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is from this is happening from Studio 41 presented by Chime, where we do all our Twitch streams. So this is this is super official. <laughs> all right. All right. Um, so kind of just give me a brief overview. How are you feeling about the state of the Mavs overall? Well, I mean, coming out of last season, going all the way to the conference finals, it's hard to view anything that happened last season as anything short of a, a huge success. I mean, this is a team that you know really kind of got overwhelmed in the bubble against the Clippers. And then the season after that probably should have won that series a couple different times uh, going from up 2-0, up 3-2, playing game six at home with the lead. And they kind of give it away to Kawhi, uh, you know, an all-time performance by him. And so last season's team was just really on a mission, you know, in this new era with Nico Harrison and Jason Kidd of like, we have to cast away those demons of the past. We have to win a series. You know, no matter what happens, we have to win a playoff series. And, you know, not only did they win one, but they won two. And not only did they make the playoffs, but they they got a top four seed. So last season was amazing. However, you come off this, you know, nearly highest of highs and you lose Jalen Brunson and you don't really replace him. And that's kind of the the overarching I guess, problem or sort of uh, divisive point within the Mavs fan base of, like they upgraded in size, sure. They added a bunch of bigs, but they they lost a lot of playmaking. And so there's gigantic question marks, I feel like, uh, hanging over this franchise as you head into the year. But then there's also reasons to be optimistic. I mean, Luka got off to a bad start last year. Uh, Spencer Dinwiddie was not on the team at the beginning of last season. So there's plenty of reason to believe they'll come out of the gates hotter. Uh, but can they finish as strong, I guess, is a, is a question that we're going to probably discuss here for the next half hour. Yeah, I think that leads uh, us into my first question really well. So Spencer Dinwiddie, he uh, comes over in the trade for Przingis, and he now has to replace Brunson's value as that second ball handler on the team, obviously, when Luka's not running the show. How do you think he makes that happen? Well, I mean, a couple a couple ways, I guess, are possible. You know, last season, he was so good. I mean, really kind of unsustainably good uh, on pull-up threes in particular. You know, the Mavs, guards basically just took turns isoing against you know whether it was Gobert or whoever in the playoffs um you know Mikhail Bridges was getting the work even for crying out loud but throughout the regular season <laughs> as well you know those guys were just taking turns going one-on-one and oftentimes that means settling for you know an off-the-bounce three and Dinwiddie throughout much of his career just has not really excelled at those shots he's always been a good catch-and-shoot player which bodes well for playing off of Luka but whenever you're kind of the one guy and as the roster currently stands right now, he would be the one ball handler unless you you know have high hopes for like Tim Hardaway Jr., Josh Green, Frank Nilakina, Jaden Hardy. So um, can Dinwiddie continue to knock down those pull up threes? If not, you know, can he break his man down off the dribble now that he's a full you know year plus removed from that ACL? Uh, he should be back to as close to, to normal as possible. Um, and then also, you know, Jalen was so good last season in particular at not necessarily just like open floor transition scoring. The Mavs do not run, but he was really, really good in the secondary break. You know, just another guy that's not Luka that can bring the ball up the floor, you know, target a mismatch or attract some sort of advantage, gain some sort of advantage 
uh, and then blow by that guy with whether it's you know pure speed or a hesitation move or whatever and get to the basket and score or kick it out to the corner or whatever. You know, Jalen is like he wasn't the orchestrator, uh, but he did make a lot of guys better uh, with his ability to get to the basket. And so it's kind of twofold for Dinwiddie. Can he both knock down those pull-up threes and also can he get in the lane as much or more than Jalen, uh, especially if that outside shot is not falling? Because, I mean, that's kind of the, the grease that keeps the Mavs uh, offensive wheels turning. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I don't put a lot of stock in, uh, you know, they have the mic'd up moments where a lot of the times there's players that are like, I have a microphone on me today, so I'm going to just talk a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> which yeah. happen- happens a lot. He had a mic'd up segment. It was the best mic'd up segment I had ever seen. It was him, I think, coming out of a timeout, uh, and then it was him kind of directing people on defense, and then there was maybe a third part of it. And each time, he was like reinforcing points that the coach had talked about earlier. He was, uh, you know, directing, making sure everyone was on the same page. It was the most impressive mic'd up segment I had ever heard in the 15 plus years I had been watching the NBA. And I don't know what kind of stock to put in that. But the amount of times I've just heard people just kind of talking for for talking sake. That was one thing that I don't know, weirdly has it, it was last year. And it was one thing that kind of just stuck out in my head. Uh, which I'm like, huh, I wonder if there's anything to that because, you know, things like intangibles, things like leadership here at Basketball Index, we do not have a way to quantify that yet, probably <laughs> ever. But I don't know. That was just one thing that always stuck out to me where uh, it seemed like he was really speaking with intention and also everything he was saying had like a purpose and I felt like was genuinely helpful, like as you know, something you'd want to hear from your teammate on the court. Yeah, which is a really important quality, especially on the Mavs, because you know, Luca is going to carry the load and all that stuff, but he has not really become that talker yet. He's actually been talking quite a bit in Slovenian huddles, which has been good to see so far in Eurobasket, but, you know, he's not the most vocal guy in the world. And so until he gets there, they need other guys. You know, uh, Jalen is very vocal. Spencer can be vocal. You know, I'm not sure about Christian Wood or JaVale. You know, these are veteran guys. JaVale especially has been on a lot of really good teams. You know, maybe he can sort of, uh, you know, provide his voice or Dorian Finney-Smith or Reggie Bullock. I mean, it's a lot of kind of like quieter dudes. And so, you know, they need someone or multiple people to be able to step up and say like, hey, you know, uh, insert instructions here because, <laughs> you know, you got to you got to fire up the troops. I mean, Jason Kidd is even soft spoken. You know, he can't do it all on his own. Uh, let's talk about Luca. Obviously, everything on this team revolves around him. And I think last year, I think everyone everyone knew he was a star on the upswing. But I felt like in the playoffs last year, it cemented any doubt of any hater that anyone possibly could have. But one strange thing about Luca is the all-in-one metrics don't tend to, or I won't say don't tend. In the past, they have been quite good. Last year, they were good. They weren't great. Both in LeBron and Darko, he was ranked 20th. Uh, and again, all-in-one metrics for anyone listening. Basically, they just take everything about a player, try to put it in a blender, and come out with one number that is his, his overall impact. Uh, any idea or insights on why maybe Luca's uh, last season wasn't loved uh, by analytics in an overall standpoint? I would be curious if there was any sort of... Um date sorting or date elimination because really you know he played uh the first like three four weeks of the year up until november 15th and then he sprained his ankle and his knee like got kind of mangled uh tripped up by austin rivers missed like three weeks came back for another two weeks just was not himself and then sat down again for like three or four more weeks and so that first month or so of the season 
you know, he and the Mavs as a whole were, were pretty anemic, especially on offense. And, you know, I, I'm not going to, I know I'm wearing a Mavs polo right now, but I'm not going to sit here and say like <laughs> Luca is a lockdown defender. So, you know, his primary value is going to manifest itself on the offensive end. But, you know, as they were trying to learn Jason Kidd and Igor Kokoshkov's offense, as they were trying to, you know, at times force feed KP in the post, um, you know, Reggie Bullock and Dorian Finney-Smith, Finney started off a little hot, but Bullock and Tim Hardaway Jr. in particular just could not hit a shot the first couple months. And so, you know, everything was just really clunky and really difficult the first month or so of the year. And, you know, to make matters worse, Luca looked a step or two slow. Uh, you know, he just couldn't get in the lane. But after he sat out all that time in December, he came back in January and they just took off. So, you know, I think in the 2022 portion of the schedule, I would think he'd rate much higher than 20th. But I mean, in the first month or so of the year, he just did not have the juice. The Mavs offense didn't have the juice. And, you know, at that time, Jalen Brunson was still coming off the bench. And so it's like, hey, Luca has all of the responsibility. There's no other ball handlers. There's really no other shot creators of any kind on the floor. And so he's got to do everything. And if he can't do everything or if the defense is paying no mind to the shooters around him, then he's just working in such a, a more confined space, which is kind of this sort of like uh, self-fulfilling uh, disaster, basically, because there's just, he has no outs. And so luckily he was able to kind of you know shed a little weight, get healthy, get over COVID, and he came back and he was fantastic. But, I mean, there's no denying the first month or so of last season was just rough. I mean, they were winning games, but it was still really rough. Their offense was, I think, bottom five for a while, and you know much of that is because Luka just wasn't able to dominate in the way that we're kind of used to seeing him do it. Hmm, that's interesting. I feel like that insight does help explain some things. Um, if we dig into uh, some of the specific scoring metrics, though, he still was very strong. Like you said, he went on that tear. Uh, he was 100th percentile in points per possession. So it's not bad. <laughs> that's uh, that's pretty good. Uh, and again, points per possession is taken into account. It's basically like your shooting percentages, and it also takes into account turnover. So it's, uh, it's a really good metric for kind of just evaluating your overall efficiency when you have the ball. Uh, he was first in our new on-ball gravity metric by a mile. Like, this is one of those things, if you chart it out on, like, the X and Y axis, there's the league, there's some of the superstars, and then there's him off near Pluto in his own orbit. The gravity for him has just been insane. Uh, he was first in our three-point pull-up talent this season uh, that takes into account how difficult your three-point shots are that you're making. Uh, that being said, he is a absolutely phenomenal generational offensive talent. Where do you see areas where he still has room to grow on that end? I think if you ask Mavs fans, they would say the free throw line, but that's kind of boring. Um, you know, I think <laughs> I think just general quickness. Um, you know, that's less of a skill based thing and more of an athletic thing. But you know, what's been really interesting in EuroBasket, and I will obviously ad admit that you know the athletic uh, competition in EuroBasket does not really compare to the NBA for the most part, but. What we're seeing him do a lot more now, and he also kind of did it a little bit in the playoffs too, is as he's driving to the to the basket, you know, instead of trying to like cross over and get past his man, he's just getting ahead of steam and then he's spinning, kind of like this LeBron like tight spin move, uh, where he's going over his shoulder. And what that does is basically like if the defender's out of position, he's gonna foul him, or he's just gonna get out of the way and Luca's gonna have a layup. Uh, but if the defender's really trying to get into Luca, and a lot of guys do that, try and just like eat up the space. Uh, get right into him, you know, make him mad, uh, hope the officials don't blow the whistle, and then you can get in his head and he gets all frustrated, right? But if you get inside him like that and he spins, he's just going to, like, slide right off you and get to the basket. And and he's been dominant in Eurobasket. I mean, his finishing numbers around the rim have been, like, 
you know, even Giannis would be like, my God, dude, like chill out. Like, Luke <laughs> has been amazing. And so I think that's like the next step. You know, if maybe it could be that Luca will never be any quicker than he is or than he was a couple years ago. Uh, but if he can incorporate that spin move like LeBron did toward the end, you know, especially like once he came to the Lakers, kind of slowed down a little bit, but he can still get by anybody because he's just so good on his feet. Uh, if he can use his force and his strength and his momentum to get to the basket, no matter what's going on, then I think that will help him quite a bit. But I also, uh, you know, he's he's great pulling up from three. I think last year he led the league in three-pointers made uh, after after New Year's Day. But um, I'm sure you are going to bring this up anyway, but catch-and-shoot numbers, not great. You know, it's often to the point where, like, he doesn't even want to shoot the catch-and-shoot three. Like, he'll catch it on a kickout and then, like, wait for the defender. And then sometimes he'll step back anyway, or sometimes he's looking to just, like, move the ball or get in the lane. Like, he just kind of refuses to take these catch-and-shoot threes. And if he's able to, to knock more of those shots down, then it allows him to take more possessions off, which is good because it keeps him fresher for later in games. So I think that's kind of the those are the two big things that I'd like to see him uh, improve on in the in the short term. Uh, sort of an interesting thing. You're not the first person to mention that. So I've done a lot of these podcasts where we just talk about basically a team preview. Right. And there's been uh, I've talked to Le- I've talked to Tim uh, about LeBron. I've talked to. Uh, we had a Sixers pod where they talked about James Harden, and it was all the same thing where these superstar players that are good three-point shooters, there is a hesitancy on the catch-and-shoot three that I – like, it's one of those things I I wouldn't have assumed it, but after talking to enough people, it's something that I'm seeing almost throughout the league, and I wonder what – I, I don't know. I don't know really what to form <laughs> a question around that, but it's just an interesting thing I've seen where uh, I've talked to a lot of different teams and they're like, yeah, the superstar player on this team just does not feel comfortable taking the catch and shoot three uh, when it does come around to him, which I don't know. I kind of find interesting. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, I, I almost think maybe it's like with Luca. I, I, I mean, I don't know how the, the J kid Nico Harrison regime is, but under Rick, you know, especially when, uh, you know, Bob Bulgaris was here, like the Mavs were super duper analytically minded and it could have been that they were like, Luca, we score 0.2 points possession more, you know, whenever you get in the lane. So maybe it's just like they're coaching it out of him or coaching it into him, I guess. Um, I don't think J kid has math as high in his list of priorities, but, uh, you know, maybe Luca still plays that way. I mean, I'm just purely speculating at this point, but I mean, there has to be some sort of reason because I mean, Luca gets like one or two open shots per game. I don't know why he would ever want to pass up uh, another one if he could get it. Yeah, that, 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 that that's always been my thought as well. Uh, but speaking of catch and shoots, let's talk about Dorian Finney-Smith. Uh, he's one of the uh, premier, I'd say, 3 and D players in the league. He is super versatile. He's 99th percentile in our defensive positional uh, or our <laughs> defensive positional versatility metric a and on ball defense. And then from the shooting side, he, this is a really, really fun stat um, and things don't always work this way. His three point shot making has improved the last four years, almost in a linear fashion, which uh, I, I would just love to see, or I'd love to hear what it was like to see a player progress like this to now become I feel like you can put them up there with the Mikel Bridges of the world these guys that are very very valuable uh, they can guard on ball they have good versatility as well as now he has developed the ability to hit the catch and shoot three uh, just what have you what have you seen from Dorian Fifth's uh, Dorian Finney Smith's development and what does that look like a lot of it I think is just his technique uh, like if you go back to his college tape or watch him during his rookie year 
in 2016-17, he had this real, like, nasty, exaggerated hitch at the top of his jump shot. I mean, he'd bring the ball, like, clear all the way behind his head. It was very, very exaggerated. And, uh, you know, he just started kind of trying to iron it out. And his second season, he actually showed some signs of progress, but got hurt very early in the year. The Mavs decided to tank. All right, you know, Dorian, you're not going to come back. So he didn't really get to, to show it off until his third season where he got off to a great start from three, all the confidence of the world. Uh, but his efficiency dropped off a cliff, you know, kind of in the second half of the, the season. I think part of it was maybe fatigue for minutes because he was playing so much. Part of it was they had just traded Dennis Smith Jr. Uh, for KP and, you know, Dorian and Dennis were real tight and KP wasn't playing at all. And so, you know, there wasn't the same kind of personnel. Um, but, you know, the last couple of years, Dorian has just exploded. It's been, I think his three-point percentage has increased every year of his career in addition to, um, you know, the the uh, points per possession ranking and his ability to put the ball on the floor and attack closeouts out of those situations. I think a lot of it is that technique. Uh, you smooth out your jump shot, you quicken your release, it turns, you know, open threes into wide open threes. Um, and then it's kind of this, uh, you know, pick your poison sort of deal where if you put Dorian in the weak side corner and you got Luca, you know, running a high pick and roll, if you're doubling Luca, you know, he's got the vision to, to throw it right over the top. And so he's just spoon feeding Dorian these open corner threes from the weak side, just, you know, three, four, five, six times a game. And, uh, you know, he finally has the confidence just to let it fly, even if he's missed a couple in a row, which is really, really important. Um, you know, you pass up a, an open Luca, you know, assist, potential assist. I mean, it's you're basically giving away the possession because the Mavs do not attack the offensive glass. So a lot of it is confidence, uh, but most of it is just that that technique, you know, just just smoothing out the jump shot. It was very, very ugly uh, five years ago, and now it is, it's one of the smoothest, purest jump shots in the league, I think. He is one of those players to me that smells like a championship role player. I know he just got that new contract, so he's going to be around for a while. But he, you know, he's one of those guys where I don't know if you exactly call him a building block to a championship team, because a lot of times when people say it, they think of, you know, like a, a big three or something of that nature. But I feel like that fourth, fifth best player on a team, if you can fill that with Finney Smith like that is, uh, I feel like an important piece to ending up in the finals. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of like the the Mavs were one of the last teams to really load up on wings. You know, now it feels like they have a lot. You know, are they? Great compared to the rest of the league. I guess that's up for you to decide. But, you know, three and D wings were so rare around here that by the time Dorian finally sort of emerged and solidified himself as one of those guys, I don't think our fans had really caught up to like how important it is to have as many of those guys as possible or certainly to have like one of the five or ten best probably in the league uh, to the point where last year before the deadline, because he was like kind of stuck in those extension talks the way that Jalen Brunson was too, you know, some fans were like they should trade Dorian for a first round pick. And I was like, why would you do that? Because if you trade Dorian, you're instantly going to need a player that's just like Dorian. Like, and you're <laughs> probably not going to be able to draft him because now those guys are going in the top 10. Like, he was undrafted in 2016. There's no shot he would go undrafted if you redid it today. And so, like, why would you get rid of the one thing that you've needed for, like, 15 years? Like, you need more of those guys, not less. No, absolutely. That, that I totally agree with you. Um Let's talk about the rest of the team. Hardaway Jr. coming back from injury. They trade for Bertans last year. Reggie Bullock they acquire. Uh, what do you what do you make of this kind of stable of of solid players in the league? You know, they offer shooting. They offer a few other things. Uh, what do you make of these three guys? And uh, how do you see this depth serving the team? It's a real commitment, I think, to Lucas' playmaking ability. 
Um, that's like the, the most optimistic way that I could put it because, you know, the only other real bona fide playmaker on the roster is Spencer Dinwiddie. And so if something happens to either of them, then they're really, really in trouble because, you know, unless Hardaway's handle is improved or unless Christian Wood can, you know, create a ton of offense himself, uh, which I guess maybe he can, you know, in spurts, you know, there are only one or two engines on this team and uh, they both come out of the backcourt. And so, you know, by surrounding Luca with length, you know, I think their their shortest player on the team is like six four. Shortest wingspan on the team is like six foot seven. I mean, they're going all in on length, uh, shooting, you know, perimeter defense, versatility, and that's been the vision really dating back to Luca's rookie year. Uh, that's that's what they've been wanting to go for. Is like, what would our basketball team look like if Luca was the shortest player on the floor or the second shortest player on the floor? Uh, you know, could we play? And all of these guys have good size. They can all shoot. They can all spread the floor. You know, JaVale McGee uh, kind of replicates that sort of Dwight Powell uh, pick-and-roll man uh, thing while also providing, you know, a, a little better rim presence at the other end and a little more veteran savvy, I'd say, and experience. But uh, they're just all in on Luka. And, you know, if it works, then, I mean, you know, we saw him get to the, the conference finals last year. So, you know, we know what the ceiling is. The ceiling is being very, very good top four playoff run kind of team. Um, but if Luca goes down or isn't up to the task, or if any of these role players have drop-offs, then it could be pretty tough because, you know, Jalen was one of the few guys on the team that could sort of salvage a possession if it was dead in the water. Uh, now you only have one of those guys in Dinwiddie. So it's, it's all on them to create everything. Uh, and if they can, they're going to be good. And if they can't, then, uh, we'll know pretty early in the season that, you know, they might need to make another move. Uh, they bring in Christian Wood. Uh, sadly, they trade Boban away. That uh, I'm, I'm going to miss that on the national nationally televised games. But uh, they they kind of strike a they kind of grab a lottery ticket in my mind. Uh, how do you see that playing out? And how do you see him matching up with Luca? Uh, Jaden Hardy, mean? Oh, uh, Christian Wood. Christian, I'm sorry. Christian sorry. Wood. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you know, Wood has tons of athleticism. And if you're athletic and you can run, you fit with Luca because he's slow and he likes guys around him to run real fast. Um, <laughs> he's got inside-out scoring ability. You know, I think the the potential is there for him to be incredible. I mean, he could be like Amari Stoudemire or something with Luca with with a three-point shot. But the Mavs just went through a multi-year experiment with Luca and Kristaps Porzingis that bore fruit at times. I mean, they had the number one offense of all time in 2019-20, but everyone kind of left that experience sort of thinking like, I, I wish that they would have just been like better, you know? And so can Luca and Wood sort of strike this, um, strike this balance between like, when is it my turn? When is it your turn? When do you need space? Uh, when can I go to work? You know, when can you get out of my way? If they can figure that out, then I think, you know, uh, to quote Michael Jordan, the ceiling is the roof because, you know, if Wood is coming off the bench, he's going to torch all of these backup bigs. Um, you know, the West does not have many guys off the bench or really even a lot of like a lot of bigs, natural bigs that are kind of equipped to guard him. I think like the East has a lot more of those athletic guys, you know, at the top of the conference. Um, Wood could really, I think, go crazy this year. Um, but if he can't discover what Luka and KP were never really able to discover then we might be saying the same thing at the end of the year. Like they were really good, but I mean, they maybe should have been a little better. It could have been a little better. So it is a lottery ticket. Um, I think the floor is high 
you know, with Wood. I think you can you can throw him into an NBA game playing with a bunch of traffic cones, and he would still get you 15 points. Playing off Luca, you know, he could have the best year of his career uh, if he's willing to, you know, sort of fit in with Luca, which is not always easy to do. Um, but if you can, then you're going to make a lot of money and you're going to have a very, very good season. All right. Well, there's definitely an interesting, uh, interesting season coming up for the Mavs. Uh, Bobby, what is your Twitter handle? Uh, my handle is at Bobby Carella. It's K-A-R-A-L-L-A. So you can find me there. And if, uh, if you don't have Twitter, then don't get one. Uh, all right that's gonna wrap it up for the state of the Mavs Bobby thanks for coming on talking some basketball my name is Taylor and we'll see you on the next episode of the basketball index podcast